0: In 1954, J.R.R. Tolkien published the first Lord of the Rings novel. And in 2001, Peter Jackson directed the first film adaptation of that same series. Who better to discuss all things Lord of the Rings than my paper keg podcasting partners Dale underscore A and Jonesy Loves Beer? Their love of comics is strong. But their love of orcs, elves, and hobbits may be stronger. In this special out-of-season episode, we talked about both the movies and the books, and how both stack up for them even today. You have like a worksheet you're working from here? I do. I have a sheet of notes that I uh, I wrote as I was watching it. Love it. I think it was the first time I've seen it uh, maybe in theaters. But I feel like I was working at West Coast Video when it came out on DVD. Because as soon as I saw the box art, I was like, oh my God, I've seen this a trillion times at various points in my life. But like the movie was the first time I'd seen it. So like, Dale, did you read the books growing up because like my lord of the rings connection is like unlike most nerds i feel like like i've seen the movies maybe once and that's it for me
1: so the movies were the first that i saw i (laughs) idiot the the (laughs) movies were the first thing that i've consumed and then i went back and read the books uh two or three times. Um, but, the, the yeah, the movies are definitely what, I, what I've what i experienced first. Uh, real quick, when I was in seventh grade, the last day of school, they called me down over the loudspeaker, like me and maybe eight other, nine other students, I don't know how many, and uh, to the principal's office and I was like, what is this about? And they put The Hobbit in my hand, the book. And they're like, okay, you read that over the summer, And do a report on it or write, do a paper on it. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, no, like this is, (laughs) you can't tell me what to do over the summer. Like it, this was the beginning of the end of my. You
0: left school after.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Cause they can't tell me what to do. Um, but yeah, so I had a. So like the last week before school started I remember reading the first paragraph and the last paragraph of the hobbit in each chapter and trying to do a hmm. a book report on it and I got like a d minus I think I got this, I think I got a d because I did it but I didn't really do it uh-huh. um but so I wasn't much of a book reader back then. And, uh, you know, The Lord of the Rings books, I'm okay with. I'm not like the biggest fan. I don't I don't need to like pick them up yearly or, or something like that. So the movies were definitely it. For, they're it for me.
0: Gen Z, what about you? Because I feel like you, I don't know, I feel like when we were going to high school, you had like the vast catalog of Indiana Jones, James Bond materials, like anything you can get your hands on. Was, was Lord of the Rings in that group?
2: Well, I was um, the summer, and I, I feel like this is like the antithesis from Dale's story, but I think the summer I turned 12, 13, I became like a voracious reader. So, uh, and I had actually started out with um, a book, a, ser- uh, a series of books by David Eddings, uh, who turns out was like a. a and not official but kind of like a student of Tolkien so like his his series was like very similar in vein uh to the Lord of the Rings but it was like a much uh easier to read because if you ever read the Lord of the Rings it's very um like Tolkien was a linguist he was a professor so it it comes off as very professorial and very beautiful and very uh like like a linguist uh, linguistics class in Elfish, So, <clears throat> I, I consumed Eddings first and then I, my uncle was the one that turned me on to reading so I went back and I said, this is really good. What else do you have like this? And that's when I first started reading Or of the Rings. I I'd never had to read The Hobbit in school so I'd never read that first. So I started out with Fellowship. Um, I would say it was like 13 years old and I didn't like it at first because I was kind of already dialed into this easy to read high fantasy and Tolkien was difficult for me at that time. Cause it wasn't so easily consumable. I mm-hmm. couldn't read a paperback in two days. You know, I think fellowship took me a couple of weeks to like slog through. And then only after I saw the movie did I go back and read it with a new appreciation for what it was. So mm-hmm. I, I, I had read it when I was younger and, and remembered it very vaguely when I saw the movies. Um, and then I went after I I watched the first Fellowship of pre- what re-, re read them all, and then I really enjoyed them. But you could probably think all of my nerddom to one, my dad's comics when I was a kid, and two, you know, that summer that I started reading David Eddings probably started me on my nerd path. Start David Eddings. Prior to, prior to high school.
0: I was, um, I think I tell the story every time, but we had just talked about Last Jedi, but I consumed those. I didn't read a ton of books when I was younger, but the Star Wars books that I read, I read the hell out of those things. Like Young
2: Jedi Academy,
0: absolutely the Jedi Academy stuff. When Luke opened the school, my god, (laughs) that stuff (laughs) is so good. I think I read one of those books in a day, and I was I literally just did nothing but read that book. So good.
2: Uh, Not to go totally off topic, there's one of the first novels is, um. During the Battle of Yavin, the first Death Star, a TIE fighter crashes on Yavin 4, and the students find him 30 years later, and he's gone insane. And it's, there's like a cat and mouse game in the forest around the Jedi Temple. Oh my God. One of the best books I've ever read. Hands
0: down. Oh my down. God. Let's end the show and just go read that right now instead. <laughs> Tolkien. Bio. Season two, episode two. <laughs> I I, um... Couldn't remember a lot about this movie when I first started watching it again. So I reached out to you guys to see, I think I maybe suggested doing the book, but then I quickly veered away from doing the book as an idea. And then you told me to watch the extended version, which I don't think I've ever seen. And the honestly, the, the main takeaway as I was watching it, I bet mean, there's several, but one of them that popped up was there are so many memes from this movie. On the internet that like, I forgot how many memes exist because of this film, All right? Yeah. like <laughs> unreal amounts. You cannot wield it. Uh, one does not just you know, uh, right. uh, you shall not pass. There's like it there's like a, a handful.
1: It's Peter Jackson, I
0: mean, total meme creator. <laughs> Peter Jackson loves memes. Everyone knows that. yeah, the other takeaway, the real takeaway was Peter Jackson, I mean, this could have been a really bad movie absolutely this could have like been. this i mean i feel like every, the stack was against peter jackson and company mm-hmm. i mean like up until that point he's not like a, a name in my opinion like they're giving the lord of the rings franchise to this guy like to do three movies and release them in three years ian mckellen's in it like i was watching this movie thinking like ian mckellen on set does he just like this could be trash. He's like, I'm filming this movie. This could easily be trash. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll never know until it comes out. The guy did the Frighteners and like Dead Alive, you
1: know, something else. Originally, I think either the film was going to be one film and they were going to see where it went or how it went or maybe there was a two film deal. But during filming or during pre-production, Peter like, like, like did his darndest to convince these producers that this needed to be a trilogy and it needed to be filmed all at the same time and the amount of money needed up front was going to be insane but he convinced them
2: i wonder what he showed them in order to make them say yes right you know what, I mean? <laughs> what was it
0: yeah what was that pitch i would have love to be in that room probably just uh five hours of characters running across fields I think he's like, this could yeah. be the movie. Yeah. Just
1: like New Zealand countryside, all the, all these spots <laughs> in New Zealand is like
0: convincing. I was watching the extended version and I started to like wonder out loud, you know, what bits and pieces were not in the theatrical. Um, but when you went back to read the books after the movie, what kind of reaction did you have to like the changes he made? Cause I know he like streamlined a bunch. I was reading that. Like, I didn't realize that, um, Frodo has the ring for like 17 years before he gets sent on like his journey to destroy the ring. Like that seems like a giant, gigantic shift for the film.
2: One of the things I've missed, like Tom, you, Dale, if you remember Tom Bombadol from the book, I thought he was a great character. A lot of people think he's, uh, Tolkien. He's kind of like this, um, this Hobbit-esque creature that they initially approach to take the ring. And I think Tom's like, you know, I could take it. And it, but the world would just be marching in place. It would, the world would forever be marking time, and nothing would ever move forward if I took it. So you know, you have to do this because there is no easy out. And I thought that was a a message that could have been important for the movie. But you know, you understand for time why they didn't film it; they don't have to cast it. But it's like one of my favorite uh, chapters in the house of uh, Tom Bombadil from the first book. also uh, and I I think I argue with my wife about this the most Aragorn gets uh, Anduril Flame of the West in the first book it gets forged for him so he has it on the journey across the Middle Earth it works better in the movies I will 100% agree it works better he gets it on the eve of battle in Minas Tirith but that was another thing that big
1: difference from the movie and the books that it was like threw me off matt's like gazing matt's like gazing out of his window right now unaware of what you're saying
0: (laughs) no i'm not i'm
1: not a lot of the streamlined from what i remember of the books it's been i don't know maybe uh eight two weeks eight years since i read any of the books but um you know Everything just takes forever in the books, and it's not a, an exciting read. Like, uh, everybody has a song to sing, and there's two pages spent, like listing out the lyrics. And when you listen to the audiobook, Robert Inglis, who who reads the book to me, uh, sings these songs for me, thank God. But, you know, it's it's wasted space, and the, the Council of Elrond takes forever. Like, they are in Rivendell for the Council. I feel like for 30%. Of the, of the first book. Right, yeah, they're they're spent in Rivendell talking about what they should do with the ring and everybody's kind of like hanging out in Rivendell for such a long time that it the movie does a great job of giving you no sense of timeline like everything just happens once once mm-hmm. things start putting getting put into motion you don't know that when uh gandalf leaves frodo to go research what this ring might be you don't realize that it might have been 17 years uh that between that and him getting trapped on top of uh isengard isengard for uh saruman saruman's uh tower you know that could have been 17 years but that's not established in the movie and with uh to it to its advantage i mean you don't need any of that to have a great film you know what i mean
2: no no you don't and i think um the movies are much better than the books at making the action seem important only because in like to dale's point in, in the novels like the journey of the ring and the war of the ring they call it I think in its total is like 20 it takes 20 years to happen. So mm-hmm. from the time that that uh, Bilbo uh, turns 111 till the time they take the, the gray ships into the West is 20 years. I mean, and it makes a good, it takes a, or the movies make a good job out of making everything feel urgent. The movies give the, the story a sense of urgency that I think it needs. Mm-hmm. That, that Tolkien never intended to have when he wrote the books.
0: Where do you think the books excel over the movies?
2: I, I think probably exploring the, the beauty of the culture of Middle Earth. I mean, the time he spends on Rohan. Um, and I think, and Dale, stop me if I'm wrong because I do get some of these details fuzzy. Like, we're to understand that Middle Earth is our Earth in the very in our very distant, beginnings and it's i think it's meant to tell you how cyclical uh nature is and kind of why we should not uh approach industrialism so fanatically and i think that's the the original message the book is uh and there's a line in in the book and the movies where they talk about the fires of industry burning our culture and uh but tolkien is such a a, a wonderful linguist and, and storyteller that he, he spends chapters on, on, setting up why Isengard, you know, why it was established that why the five wizards came to middle earth, like all this tons of stuff that you don't need to enjoy this kind of story, but add just layers of layers of you just maybe wondering like, why you know, where are the twins? You know, why does Radagast the Brown, where's he at? Like you, it asks a lot of cool questions. That you don't ever really need answers to,
1: but it's beautiful in the way he tells it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. For for me, uh, well, Jonesy, I think uh, I did hear that about Middle Earth was supposed to be our Earth, but I I thought maybe he went back and retconned that and and said it wasn't that, but that might be a wrong part of my thinking. But for me, I think where the book, I, I don't, I can't really comment to see to whether there's anything in the book that I hold over the movies for me. Um, but what I think, I guess the best part about the book is the, the imaginations that were born out of this book, the inspiration that the books provided to tons of people, uh, when they found it was amazing. Um, um, When the books were first published, they were only, I think, available in England, and, you know, uh, I think, like, an American publisher found some sort of loophole where they could just keep reprinting these books um, ad infinitum until Tolkien had to, like, make a change to the story to to get them like legit published in America. But hmm. at that point when they, when they started getting published in America, I mean the, the inspirations that these books provided and the songs, the Led Zeppelin songs based on uh, the Lord of the Rings, like the artwork that comes out of it, the, the people's imaginations after reading the Lord of the Rings. I think that's what, even if I don't dig the books, That's what I dig about the books and the fact that they hold such a, uh, a, they're they're like upper echelon for reasons for people writing and creating and doing their own thing and discovering like this deep mythology that he spent, uh, Tolkien spent years creating. Like he has... Eons of of uh, what happened before the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, like centuries, thousands of years. Yeah, the
2: Similarian is the story of the elves before, either before they came to Middle Earth or how they settled Middle Earth. That's when they're talking about making a the. I think the series will be about the the Amazon. Oh, the the Amazon series, multi billion dollar series. I think each season's going to tackle something different, Mm. kind of like True Detective for Lord of the Rings
0: i was gonna ask i i mean i get the impression that the books aren't uh like critically acclaimed like i when i hear people talk about the books they're like yeah the books are okay yada Mm -hmm. yada yada but people still love them why why is that like what is it about the books in the series that resonates with people even though it's like not super well written or in like held up in terms of like the the greatest novels ever written
2: i think part and parcel because of it was the first it i mean there were no fantasy novels before tolkien that in my knowledge have any acclaim so this was the first story where he kind of took these different uh, cultures, creatures, and blended them all in the world. And and someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I I don't think that I am. Like you would have like the what we consider the D and D party to be, you know, a mm. man, an elf, a dwarf, uh, an orc. Like these were different uh, cultural creatures. Uh, you know, elves and and such and fairies were more Irish, and uh, you know, dwarves were I I think germanic i'm not 100 percent sure i think i have it flipped i think elves were more germanic and viking and he kind of took a, a representative from all around europe you know which was his middle earth and he kind of made the elves and dwarves and and orcs and all these creatures as we know them today he started that like he was the originator of those modern concepts of those creatures and, and dale's I can't tell if Dale's confirming this or shaking his head at me from being so small on my screen. So I'm gonna turn it over to him real quick.
1: No, yeah, I think uh I think it's so high up there because it's undeniably you know, the incubator and the originator for for a million other things that came from it from other people, but it was the first of its kind back then. Like I I remember listening to a podcast, I forget what it was, but it, it talks about like, um, you know, fantasy stuff before this was, uh, written, but this was the originator. And, uh, I think the the amount of detail that Tolkien puts into the story and the, uh, you know, the as Jonesy was saying, the expansion and the, the description. He doesn't just talk about Rivendell. He talks about the, you know, the, uh, the lives and the, the culture of the elves when they're in Rivendell or the culture of these races. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, some of the politics and stuff like that, that doesn't really contribute to the story as a whole. But he felt like, you know, he's describing these whole new created races that were never documented in story before. So why not give mm-hmm. give them life? And I think that's why people still hold the books in high esteem, whether they're critically acclaimed or not. It's undeniable what, what it's done for a genre that he possibly created. Uh, and one thing uh, Dale kind
2: of sparked at me when he was speaking was, what I liked about Tolkien, you know, what really impresses, uh, you know is makes me impressed by his writing is that you can kind of see that all the story choices he wanted to make he was like I'm not gonna make this choice unless there's a good reason in my own world to make it and I'll give you an uh a, a what if uh that I know that his son Chris Tolkien has talked about before. Like so that you know the port where Gandalf comes back is sent back to the mortal world from the the West. So he's Gandalf the gray, comes back as Gandalf, Gandalf the White. And so Tolkien was like, I can't just resurrect somebody and not have, you know, a, a reason to do it. And that kind of led him to develop like the, the Astari and the uh, the the Middle Earth version of what the gods were and why and how they would want to send Gandalf back. You know, the decision to make Gandalf a ring bearer, uh like all that was based on like I want this person To die and then come back, and for that to mean something. So, all right. So, how do I lay down foundation so it doesn't feel cheap? So, I always Mm -hmm. like that about like, and that just led him to write volumes and volumes and volumes of this super elaborate backstory. I mean, the Middle Earth is probably as well fleshed out, probably better than any other fantasy series.
0: When I was watching the movie, I totally forgot that. there was like uh, so many video games that were spurned from this, Mm. like on PlayStation, the middle earth, like, uh, not like the kind of like the three quarter top down view where it almost like a smash up game. I remember playing that game all the time. I think I had more like invested in that game than I did, uh, you know, anywhere near the book. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They, I had the, uh, GameCube version of that and it was, I mean, there was so much coming out of the uh the product the media push at the time back when they made like movie video games and uh that was a that was a great concept video game over the shoulder like diablo style yeah action game where you could level up your characters and stuff like that dale did you play shadows of mordor no uh
0: is that the first one (laughs) you must take the ring to also the if i can sidetrack for one stupid topic i like gandalf it's not gandalf it's gandalf yes gandalf it's like an a like an a it's like i I always thought it was gandalf because that's what like most americans say i guess but like yeah. it's not that's never uttered in the movie. What
2: do you want,
0: Gandalf
2: Stormcrow?
0: Do you remember uh when the extended versions came out? Were those bonus features of the DVD release specifically? Because I feel like the bonus or the extended versions added like two to four hours per movie
2: (laughs) I think uh, easily an hour per film yeah yeah. and and Dale and I saw the extended versions with a live orchestra we should probably drop that tidbit in
0: absolutely a my notes
2: uh, 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 I think the only person that didn't want to be there was Mrs. Andrews Uh, but we definitely watched it took two two whole days and we watched all three films with an orchestral orchestral background they played all the music that sweeping music live while we watch the movie.
0: Music in the film was amazing. I feel like that's half the battle for the series' success.
1: Mm-hmm. I completely agree. From the opening scene uh, with the dramatic music and Gladriel like speaking, trying to fill you in about what happened with the rings before we, you know, get yeah. to the movie, and then cue to the music. I, I'm just getting chills thinking about it. But cue to the like the light-hearted fiddle music to play like sweeping over Hobbiton. Oh my god. Howard Shore is by it's far and away my favorite soundtrack of all time. I could play mm-hmm. it at work when I'm trying to just concentrate on work. It's just it's beautiful, beautiful stuff, and it's it's half the reason why I, I love the movie as much as I do.
0: It's crazy that have the the property of Lord of the Rings um, has like the most one of some of the most beautiful music in. Kind of like nerd, re- geek-related fandom, and then you have like the Marvel movies, which has like the most forgettable <laughs> m- music in the history of like cinematic film. Right? It's just yeah. like I don't understand how they put the emphasis on music, or they don't care that much, or maybe Lord of the Rings just got like super lucky and they just nailed everything perfectly. Oh
1: man, they didn't, and they did, they nailed it.
0: You have to lay out the plan for the orchestral viewing. You say it takes two days. To do it, like, what's, you get, you sit down for 10 a.m., you take, like, an intermission at 1 p.m., like, what what does that, what do those two days look like? I think that it started in the afternoon the first
2: night, did it not? And it was a matinee the second day?
0: Yeah, it was like
1: 1 p.m. show, 6 p.m. show, and then the next day it was a 1 p.m. show. We were able to go to dinner,
2: and we came back, right? Right. I want to say? I know we, t- we bought the tickets a year in advance oh I do God. remember that um, but I also uh, ver- surprise uh, at the end of the, sec- the third show everybody was kind of like getting up to leave and they brought uh, Michael Cayman Gandalf up on the stage which was and Dale and I thought it was Michael Caine the whole time we had no idea it wasn't him can we edit that <laughs> out because it's Howard Shore? sure <laughs> Howard Shore did
1: the music oh, I I say, Why did I say
2: Michael Kamen? Oh, my I God. I no idea. Yeah, don't edit it out. People know I'm an idiot. They don't care.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Howard Shore was there, and he came out, and he, like, waved. And the, the standing ovation that this guy got after listening to, like, watching on stage as a 70-piece orchestra, like, we're sitting in front of the cellists playing the cello parts, and you look over, and the fiddles are there playing, like, the hot, you know, it's it was spine tingling, and to <laughs> for to walk him out on stage after, I mean the guy got maybe a t- fifteen minute standing ovation. Jesus, well deserved, well deserved. Like I mean, probably the the the, the way it masterwork. The, the way it worked was, I mean, the dialogue was very minimal, and as soon as like uh music started in a scene like the dialogue was just kind of like phased out, and they kept the close captioning on the sc- on the screen so you could just take in this music mm-hmm. and it was like at Lincoln Center in New York City i mean it was like the place to listen to or orchestral music. Yeah, if you're go- if you're going to see it see i it. mean that that's probably the best way to do it yeah you know, i mean in in New york city gotten got in i think Got an Uber after the show and it was like, uh, you know, high pricing.
0: We did surge to pricing. Get through it. Lord of it the Rings surge pricing.
2: Probably more than the whole vacation to get that Uber back to the hotel.
0: That's, that's when we still <laughs> use Uber
2: to get around. I do want to say, I don't know how we are time wise on this new program you have, Slim. Yeah. Uh, but I did like the, the structuring of the movies with the bigger plot points. I thought made more sense than they did in the novels. And I'll give you an example. So, um, there's a cliffhanger with Gandalf the Grey and Gandalf the White. That happens all in the second book. I mean, the Council of Rivendell is... is, I think I was generous when I said 30% of the first book. It might be 50%. So, he restructured the movie to have action beats that made more sense to break into a trilogy so he would have some form of cliffhanger. Like, I really liked how uh, Gandalf dies at like the 80% mark and then you still have like a cooldown period, you know, where they go to um, the Sea Galadriel to when the fellowship breaks. And, you know, it's going to be something completely different. So story wise, uh, it makes more sense for this book to be the fellowship and then the breaking of the fellowship. He gets all that done in one movie so that when you go to the two towers, you're, you're ready for the next concept you're you're not still attached to this idea of these seven characters are going to walk together for three movies. And I think him doing that one tells you uh how much he understands at a high level the books themselves and then yeah. two at what high level he is of a storyteller to be able to take something that's very a very meandering set of books and to make them feel and some people joke that it's all about you know seven guys walking. For three movies but to be able to to instead make that much quicker but still not lose what i think is the the magic and the ambiance and and the specialness of lord of the rings i think peter jack i mean if anyone else besides peter jackson ever handles this i don't think we're ever going to get to that same level I don't know what his involvement is in the Amazon series. I hope he is at least an executive producer, so he has some kind of input. But I, I think these movies are are probably not what we deserved because they were so good. Mm. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, we didn't deserve for as good as it was. Did you? Did you guys watch the Hobbit? Films? What did you think of uh, those? I do watch the Hobbit films. No comment from Dale. Um,
1: no. So I I remember leaving the theater with Jonesy after the first, being pretty high on uh what it, yep. what uh it was going to shape up to be. Like it was, it looked super promising. But Thar and Oakenshield was amazing in the first movie. Richard Armitage. Mm-hmm. But uh. It, in the you know, in the la- in the next two it was it just like a complete and huge misstep trying to make three movies out of this Hobbit Hobbit uh, series. Uh you know, it's it was just yeah, it was a complete misstep. I mean, there, there was added stuff to pad it for movie going audiences, which I understand, but even then, um I I can't say that I appreciated or liked what decisions they make to, to make up certain uh you know to make up their own kind of mythologies there are certain aspects Mm -hmm. of the books i mean of all the three movies that i do like smaug the dragon uh i really loved um lake town probably the best part yeah yeah. lake town in In the city of
2: dale dale
1: the city of dale was was a nice setting uh lake town was probably is probably my favorite uh backdrop or setting for a movie to take place but uh you know it was it was hot the hobbit trilogy was
0: okay which makes me like wonder what contributed to the success of the lord of the rings trilogy that didn't that wasn't there for the for the hobbit one or like what restrictions weren't in place for peter jackson and friends that you know like didn't have him pull back or mm-hmm. You know, maybe the love wasn't there for The Hobbit versus Lord of the Rings. It just makes me fascinated towards the inner workings because I know Peter Jackson, I think, was involved with like a super huge lawsuit with, um, I think it was Miramax? Was Miramax the production mm-hmm. company? Yeah, New like, Line. Yeah, or, yeah, New Line. Like, there's just like a whole mess of legalities that he was involved with, with with the films and it just like made the whole thing messy.
2: You know, I don't buy into the fact that it was a cash grab and as everybody said it was, you know, I don't think the original plan was to make it one movie then they said we need more money make it three because I don't think Peter Jackson would do that uh, to the source material one but I do think this could have been two movies and both of those movies would be aided by that fact. You know, by making it a third movie and they're all three hours long do we get nine hours out of The Hobbit? could have we done it in six? And if we could have done it in six, could the movie be much better paced? Because if you think of the first trilogy as one film, it's pretty well placed paced, even being clocking in at 12 hours. Like, you need all 12 hours. But I don't think you need all nine of the Hobbit movie. You yeah. know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff they could have excised, they could have served to make mm-hmm. the story Uh, maybe even more emotionally resonant. Because I think after Smaug uh, is no more, I think I stopped caring pretty much what was, like that was the big, that was the point of The Hobbit, was getting the dragon out of there so that, you know, the dwarves could have uh, their home back. And the Arkenstone was cool and everything. It's just that like after Smaug dies, I'm like, why am I, why am I still here? Why is this story continuing? Like, I don't need to know about the Battle of Five Armies. That's not what I came... When I think hmm. about reading The Hobbit, I don't think about the Battle of the Five Armies.
0: Do the Lord of the Rings films still hold up uh, as as well as your first viewing, in your opinion, Dale? Um,
1: oh, yeah, 100%. I, I hold these films. I covet them. And um, when I, I find it now that if I go out of my way to make time to watch it. I mean, I enjoy it as much as I do the first time I saw it. it. It could probably, my love for them grow more and more. Like the past maybe five years, I started a this sort of tradition that when I would start wrapping presents around Christmas time, I would throw all the movies on and that would start my watching for my next uh, round of watching the trilogy. And I would probably get through Fellowship and maybe some of two towers while wrapping presents um depending on um time maybe i maybe i would go through more but i would always finish watching the trilogy after i started because i just uh i i when i was watched fellowship this past time for the podcast i had closed captioning on which uh you know was i couldn't hear at the time because um you know my tv was too low and it was either too low or too loud so i just threw a uh, closed captioning on it. and it like it almost opened up a little bit more of a love and interest for me because um you know there's always dialogue that you kind of miss or somebody speaking under their breath and you didn't really catch and it just you know it it ex- expands the world out even that much more um i i there's not there's not a, a time where i think um you know any of anything is lost on me there used to be time, there used to be uh times when i was younger and why why the movies probably hold so dear to me is uh, you know i would be playing like video games on my computer or probably world of warcraft at the time and i would just throw on one of the movies as background noise and it's like it's ingrained in me it it's a part of me and i i love that for that reason and uh, i don't know the amount of uh special materials on the blu-rays and um like if you watch the extended edition at the end of the extended edition even for fellowship you'll notice that like the credits are like 40 minutes long and i i think back then like during this internet boom in 2000 2001 like one of the cool things is uh, when they release the, I think the special editions on Blu-ray. If we, you watch the extended edition um, after the normal credits, they'll just start listing because uh, uh, during the production of the film, Peter Jackson and the the entire film crew would like reference and hit the forums on this website called the One Ring dot net and they were such like an integral part in discussing like movie mythos and stuff like that, that like anybody who was registered on that website at the time got their names at the ending of the extended edition credits. And the credits just (laughs) rolled for like 40 minutes. And it's amazing. Like, because back, you know, in 2000, when the internet was like new and high speed internet was new, everybody like everybody was finding their place online. And I didn't know about at the time I wasn't a part of it, but I just think it's cool that, you know, the, the, uh, the creators of the special edition DVDs were cool enough to throw that on the end of the actual credits to the actual films, like the actual fellowship of the ring. You could watch it and see your name at the end of the fellowship of the ring. Is amazing.
2: One of the things I want, and I know
1: my wife will never let me purchase,
2: is I really they make a life size statue of the shards of Narsil with the elven woman holding them on like the cape, mm. and I oh, really yeah. just want that in my house. I don't know why I want it so badly. I don't. I definitely don't need it to live. Uh, but can you imagine having the shards of Narsil in your house? I mean, never to be forged, obviously, but you'd You'd
0: be uh putting your bottles of tully deal
1: <laughs> maybe I'd shatter a bottle. It'd be the shards of tell so I mean Matt, we've been talking, but you haven't talked yourself about yeah, like you just I interviewed never us for an hour. I almost like m- pooped my pants when you texted us, uh-huh, and recommended the movie because I knew that would that would have you watched the movie as well? And I just, you know, it's not your thing. It's not your thing, but I know what you do for the show and it's cool that you experience, you take, you go along for the ride with the people you're interviewing. But I mean, did it, does it hold a
0: place? Does it, uh, impress you as a film? I, 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 for whatever reason, I can't remember what I thought of the movie when I first saw it when I was younger. And it's, uh, I wish I remembered I, I watched it. I enjoyed it. It doesn't have, I don't know. I just, the space in my like emotional gamut that it would resonate with, Mm -hmm. I guess is filled with something else. Yeah. Like I don't, like I don't, um, I don't have that kind of special connection with the characters. Um, like Gandalf, uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's just Lord of the Rings has never f- like fueled, fueled means me for Delph, some, by the way, for, 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 for some reason. I mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Not even, when, I, not even when Boromir was redeemed,
1: but still died defending the hobbits. And
0: I mean, that scene was great. You know,
1: like I love that scene.
0: That. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just teasing. I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I remember really liking, like, I vaguely remember, I think it's Two Towers, where, is that where Gandalf, like, makes his grand return? Like, over the hilltop? You mean when he the musters battle?
2: the Rohirrim for the final <laughs> battle? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember it a little bit.
0: The, maybe that's the scene I'm talking about, but I remember When he makes his really return loving, first, yeah. like, first coming back? I think it's in the I don't know I just remember that there's like a huge battle and it's like oh, yeah, they're yeah. about to lose and then he appears in the white light like I remember seeing that in theaters and I thought it was pretty BA Return to the King I don't really remember anything about I remember the, I remember a spider in the second movie I think is that the second movie it's not a spider is that a spider that like almost yeah. kills Frodo yeah I think it's that's the
2: third movie third movie it's the main one of the main set pieces of the third movie <laughs>
0: So you've seen all the movies before. I have seen them all, yeah. I have seen them all in theaters. But for whatever reason, I never ventured back. But I have Mm -hmm. like... I know so many people like exactly like what you mentioned. They watch... They have like the marathon. They do it like every year. Or Mm -hmm. they have like a certain night when they'll play all the movies. Um, Yeah, it's... it's, Like people always ask me like why I don't play Dungeons & Dragons or why I don't have any interest. I don't know. It just doesn't have the same impact on me, but Mm -hmm. like coming back to the purpose of this, uh, this show is like kind of shining a light on those things and experiencing and understanding the way that other people view them in different, in different ways than, than you do. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Because I think like, even when I was younger, not that long ago, we're like, you can easily just kind of chalk it up as something that I'm not interested in but there's there's like a a never-ending well of like love and emotion for those things that like when when jonesy was going on about like i mean he he spoke like five minutes about information that like i would never have ever attained without having studied the characters in the books for like a decade you know and i think that can get lost Mm -hmm. on people but that's lord of the rings for you That was the end of the first EP episode for Link in Bio. Thanks to Jonesy and Dale for coming on to talk about Lord of the Rings. You may have noticed that there was no ad for half double design, but don't worry, I didn't forget. I just want to keep those fun inserts in the official seasonal episodes. If you dug this show, please share it, tweet about it, Facebook, whatever floats your boat, and... Go to halfdoubledesign.com. My lovely wife can and will crochet literally anything. Anything is possible. See you next time.